Just stand by, stand by. Hello, okay. everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast where we teach you money, teach you how to make money while traveling the world. So I'm currently in Guyana, and our, our co-host is over there in Croatia, and our guest today is in Sarajevo in uh, Bosnia. So uh, we, we're in uh, you know different parts of the world, but through the beauty of uh, Google Hangouts and technology and iTunes, we're able to bring this interview to life. And just to so say, you know, uh, the internet quality isn't the best in the areas we're in, so there might be a little bit of choppiness, but uh, you know, that's, uh, that's the struggle of being a digital nomad. And hopefully in the next few years, they'll figure out a way to have in incredible internet, incredible Wi-Fi everywhere around the world. It might take more than a few years, but we'll see, let's see what happens. So uh, uh, on this interview, we'll be interviewing Stephanie Cameron, who's originally from uh, British Columbia, but she's actually been traveling around the world the last two years and she's actually on this incredible journey where she's committed to being a nomad for five years I repeat five years and uh, her website's called thefullnomad.com um, so Scott uh, share a little bit about yourself over there in Croatia and then we'll get Stephanie on <laughs> thanks Ricky uh, Stephanie and I are neighbors she's just uh, a little ways down the, the, uh, the coast and inland from where I am. So that's really kind of exciting. We're in the same time zone. So uh, <laughs> she's, it's the afternoon. We're just uh, feeling that, you know, it's not like where you are, where you just got out of bed and it's early morning. And the weather here has been spectacular. And uh, we were just talking before we went on the air. We both were in the uh, Ro old Roman Colosseum in Pula, which is absolutely magnificent. Uh, it's the one. It's the sixth largest coliseum in the world that is still standing. It may not have been the sixth largest they ever made, but uh, it's still standing, and the other ones are are not. And it is really pretty impressive. And I think having been to the one in Rome, I'm trying to think why this. I think the reason that this impressed me so much was the fact that I was not expecting it. It's like, oh, there's an arena in Pula. Okay, great. But then you go, and it's like, there's a Colosseum in Pula, and it's huge. It's well-preserved. Uh, it's amazing. So uh, that, that was really kind of my highlight of, of the last couple of days, along with uh, doing some kayaking and biking and just enjoying the Croatian lifestyle, which is absolutely uh, phenomenal. Awesome. Uh, you know, we missed you in the last few episodes, Scott. Uh, he's uh, our co-host, but unfortunately he was busy uh, sightseeing. But, you know, uh, as a digital nomad, uh, you have days when you're just working, working, working. Then you have days when you're sightseeing, sightseeing, sightseeing. And then you have days in between where you do both or do neither. Uh, so uh, on this episode, we have the pleasure of interviewing Stephanie. And of all places, she's actually in... Digital nomads on a show, or you know that area of the world. So we're really glad to interview her live on location while she's there. We were we were thinking about interviewing her when she gets back to Canada, but you know, when you have this opportunity to uh, interview people from different countries, which we're trying to do, we're trying to cover as many countries around the world as possible. We've already done about 20 different countries uh, in pretty much every continent, with the exception of Antarctica. So if you are a digital nomad in Antarctica, please contact us. We'd love to interview you. Uh, so Stephanie is over there in uh, Bosnia, and we're going to be interviewing her about her journey, uh, leaving everything behind uh, to become a digital nomad for not one year, not two years, not three years, not four years, but five years continuously. Wow. 
I repeat. Stephanie, uh, maybe you can uh, uh, share a little bit of your background and what made you become a digital nomad. Yeah, hey there. Uh, hey, Ricky. Um, and Scott, nice to meet you, a neighbor. Um, I started thinking about traveling and going abroad back in uh, ooh, 2012, give or take. And my motivation was kind of money. Um, Vancouver, for those who don't know, and by proxy, Victoria, where I was living. I'm originally from Vancouver, and in 2012, I moved to Victoria because of money, um, because real estate was just skyrocketing in Vancouver. Victoria was a little bit cheaper. And when I got there, I realized it's really not cheaper. It's not saving me money. It's just kind of flatlining me a bit. And I thought, I've got to do something that, that allows me to live at a different cost of living. So I started thinking about moving abroad, but there was too much paperwork involved. And then I started noticing a few of my friends kind of doing this forever travel thing. And at that time, I didn't know about digital nomads. I didn't know what it was. I just kind of saw them just constantly moving and it looked cool. Um, for those who are watching, I'm, I keep looking out because there's a crazy thunderstorm here today. So uh, don't, don't mind me, I'm a little bit distracted. But my friends are traveling constantly and I realized this would take care of the paperwork issue. I'm Canadian, everybody loves us, we can just hop from country to country and there's so many places where we don't even need to get a visa. So I thought, well that's kind of cool, just move around every three months. Um, and I was already working for home so it just meant selling everything and putting my life into a bag because I have a day job that I do for 15 or 20 hours a week and then on the side I freelance. So it gives me the flexibility to kind of work for myself while having the security of having a job. Cool. Stephanie, what uh, can you tell us what type of job you've got and also what type of freelance work you do? Yes, I can, Scott. Um, I do uh, TV captioning and um, oh, so I watch... Interesting. Yeah, I watch TV for a living kind of thing. Um, wow. Like right the now I'm doing a Hallmark. digital nomad job. Watch TV. Yeah, yes. tell us how to get a job between that. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I've been doing it for about 15 years or so, so the company already trusted me to be productive and, and keep doing what I was doing. So originally I just convinced them to let me work from home. And once I got that going um, and they trusted me to do that productively, then I convinced them to let me do it from exotic locations. And uh, then my freelance job is writing. So. Every now and then I luck out and I sell something to somebody like Washington Post. Um, and yeah, so it's 60% of my income three months into traveling. So, and then the Canadian dollar devalued at the same time. So suddenly I was down by about 75% off my budget. So I, I had to scramble and, and get a lot of variety in my freelance life. And now I feel a lot more secure because I've got it coming from different places. Multiple streams of income is always really important, isn't it? Yes, definitely. It is. It is. Like, you really don't want to experience my first year of, you know, being trapped in Mexico and wondering what I was going to do if I ran out of my credit. <laughs> so, 
so I'm a little curious. I'm interested in the writing part. And unfortunately, uh, where I am, it kind of, uh, I couldn't hear some of what you said. So if, I, if you're repeating yourself, I'm sorry. But sure. how, how did you, like, when you write, how do you decide the topic? Or do they give you something to write on? Or how did you get into that gig? Because I think that's a, a really pretty incredible, particularly, I mean, it's an amazing credibility builder when you can say, I wrote and the Washington Post published my article. Sure. Well, I went to school for journalism. Uh, that That's helpful. Um, <laughs> and then, like, the art of getting into freelance is a lot more difficult than you would think. Like, you really need to understand that every single magazine or newspaper wants to be pitched ideas in different ways. Um, you know, like there are some who say, okay, tell me in 25 words or less what you want the story to be about. And other ones, others ones, you know, they want 500 words that really give them the meat of the story, you know, and they, and they're judging your writing capabilities on how well you wrote that letter as opposed to just the clips that you send. So it really varies across the board. Um, as for my corporate writing, I'm stupid lucky i've had i've never had to look for corporate work people just come to me and they say hey steph and you know and and that's from always being on when i'm online when i'm on facebook when i'm on twitter i use perfect grammar all the time everything i put out there is well written and well thought it's my calling card and so I don't get these writers who go online and they're dropping commas or they're using the letter U for the word you. I mean, if you're a writer, act like you're a writer. So I'm always on when I'm online and it's gotten me a lot of work. Good. You know, way to go, Stephanie. Thank you for that and, and taking that yeah. stand. And I will never use the letter U for the word you ever again. You, no, no, me you, too. Converted, you have converted me. You're absolutely right. Yep. <laughs> you're getting yeah. judged every time. So. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, uh, Stephanie has incredible writing. I've read uh, quite a lot of her articles, the Washington Post one, and uh, quite a few in her full, the Full Nomad uh, blog. So definitely uh, I recommend checking it out, and especially her social media. She always makes me laugh. You know, I, I might be just in the middle of something, and I'll uh, open my Facebook, and I'll, I'll see the status update. And whenever Stephanie posts something, uh, it's usually something humorous and a little bit sarcastic. So definitely I recommend following her on social media. This uh, is why I go by. Sorry? Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, this is why I go by Snarky Steph on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Snarky Steph, because she's a little bit snarky. And also, uh, yeah, <laughs> she's creative and uh, ingenious. So, Stephanie, uh, tell us about what made you commit to five years in the road. A lot of us who become digital nomads, we try out maybe for six months or a year, and then we see if we can make it. But you already uh, went gung-ho, and you shared publicly you're going to do it for five years minimal. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, a lot of this comes down to the fact that I did my research for two and a half years before I even got into this lifestyle. And every single nomad I found said, well, I was only going to do it for six months. And here it is eight years later. 
So I thought, you know, like the reality is that it takes six months to a year to figure it out. And then once you have figured it out, why go back to the normal life? And as a writer, I see travel as being kind of the writer's masterclass. Like there are no good, no great writers who have not traveled for extensive periods, whether it's Hemingway, James Joyce, I don't care. You go down the list of writers. And then the five years, it was the odds are I'm going to be doing this for five years. Once I start, I've sold everything. Shit knows I'm not going to have the money to buy it, buy all new furniture and stuff for five years. So let's just market it from day one. So That's that great. was kind of the game. That's great. And, you know, James Joyce has a statue in Pula. Did you see it? Yeah, he's got a statue everywhere, man. <laughs> you said his but name. Yeah. I was like, I took his picture yesterday. <laughs> I was all oh, excited. it's great. But you're, you're leaving um, the Istrian Peninsula pretty quick. And I don't have, have you made it up to like uh, Ravine and Porik? I'm in Ravine right now. Okay, yeah, it's a nice little town, eh? It is. I really like it. Yeah. The whole area okay. has been is just spectacular. Yeah, and it's under visited. People really need to see it more. It's it's uh, you know defined by the Venetian overlords who had it for seven hundred years, and and the flavor there is just fantastic. Yes, I love the city. Walking through it, and then I also love the countryside, the, the beaches, and the uh, the the uh, islands it's, it's got it all right here that's where i started my life as a nomad i spent six, uh four weeks in in istria i started in Modavin. i had a car i went all around and i did it in november so that i could do wine tasting and experience the white truffle season because <laughs> i'm a food snob <laughs> so okay all right. We could talk travel all day. Let's talk. Let's get back to the questions. <laughs> so, Stephanie, uh, curious about your digital nomad journey so far. So, as you just mentioned, uh, you started all over there in Croatia, but you've obviously yeah. traveled around in the last two years. Uh, so, tell us about where you've been so far and where you're planning to go next. Sure. I think um, if I had to be honest, I would say my biggest mistake was um, paying for everything up in advance for the first four or five months of my travels. I locked myself into Europe. Um, anybody who's traveled with Airbnb knows that you get all the good deals by staying for a month. But once you book in for, say, for a month, it's non-refundable. So you're stuck. And what happened was literally I left the country um, October 5th, 2015. I enjoyed a lovely few weeks in Croatia, about seven weeks in Croatia. Which, And as soon as I got to Portugal, the Canadian dollar tanked and lost 15% value in two weeks. And that was because we're so closely tied to, you know, OPEC and everything. And as soon as OPEC sneezes, Canada loses, you know, <laughs> 10 or 20% on our currency. So all of a sudden my money was hurting. I was locked in. I was in Portugal and I didn't realize that when they call Porto, 
Porto, Portugal, which is up in the north, the gray city, it's because it rains as much as Vancouver in the winter. So this idea that I was going away to sunny Portugal for the winter was like a total lie. <laughs> and uh, I, got, I got rained on every single day for a month. Um, after that, I went to Madrid for a couple of weeks. I went to the Azores Islands. I went and I did a three-week trip in um, the United Kingdom with a few glorious days in Edinburgh, which is a fantastic city. Um, after that, uh, I returned home a couple of times in my first year because my dad was pretty old and I felt guilty for leaving more than four or five months at a time. So I went back a couple of times and um, that was a good call because he wound up dying by the end of my first year. After, like, I wound up going back twice in the spring and in between I was in Oaxaca, Mexico, which is a pretty cool place. And then I spent five months in Mexico. And part of the reason why I chose Mexico, even though I'm not really a Mexico fan, was because Canadians can go there for six months without a visa and my ass was broke. So <laughs> I, I, I went there thinking, oh yeah, it'll be cheap, I'll live in Mexico, but it's not nearly as cheap as you would think it is. And um, I, I liked it more than I expected to, which is good. Um, for when my father died in September, after that, I locked into Europe for eight months, and now I've been here for 220 days as of today. I counted just for you. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so I've been in this part of Europe. I've been to Hungary, Prague, a little town in the Czech Republic called Seski Krumlov, which is, it's really cool. It's got these, um, it's a town that really hasn't changed much in five or 600 years. And in the Renaissance age, all the artists painted frescoes on the front of the building. So you can walk through and it's like this open air art gallery of all these amazing frescoes on all these buildings. So that was a really cool place. I stayed there for three or four weeks. Then I went to Budapest and then I went to Athens. I did Christmas on um, a Greek island and discovered why the Greeks don't have a tourist season in the winter. Um, <laughs> well, they do in Athens, but they sure as hell don't on the Greek islands, let me tell you. It, it got down to like minus four degrees. It snowed and I was buffeted by 80 kilometer an hour winds almost every day. So, you know, I got a steal on my apartment and now I know why. <laughs> but, you know, I drank every time I went out for for lunch, like I'd order like a half liter of wine and think, okay, I'm gonna work for a while. And then next thing you know, they'd come and they'd bring me another half liter of wine and say, this one's on the house. <laughs> yeah. so, so I love Greek people, but I don't like the weather in the winter. Um, after that, I went to Morocco and I spent a month there and then I had health problems and wound up getting an emergency hysterectomy in Albania, which was, interesting spent six weeks there in recovery and then i came to bosnia so i had surgery about three months ago now but i had really good care in albania you wouldn't think so but they have american style hospitals so and the lifestyle there is super cheap 
I did the math. If I had had surgery in Canada, I would have probably had to wait for four to six months just to get the surgery. It would have cost me $1,500 or $2,000 a month minimum just for rent. So it wound up, I did all the math, it would probably cost me about $25,000 to get free surgery in Canada. $1,000 for surgery in Albania, my cost of living each month was under $1,500 and I was in and out in uh, six weeks. So I saved about $20,000 by doing it in Albania. Go figure. Well, and we're happy that you're well. That's the important thing. Me bit. too. Yes. Well, so you've kind of, it sounds like you've jumped around a little bit. How did you, yeah. like, and I have two. And my plan was to start in England and then just gradually go across Europe and then south into Africa. And of course, I've bounced all over. I quickly discovered that I don't want to be in Europe until April, <laughs> you know, because it's cold and it's not very nice. So, <laughs> That's so, why I went to Morocco. <laughs> yes, that's and I was in Morocco in January. Uh, and so I kind of went across the Mediterranean and then now I'm kind of going up Greece, uh, Bulgaria, Macedonia, Croatia, Poland, and, and heading kind of north. Well, I'm going to be a month in Norway in, in July, August, in August. So I, I figured that was a it's safe the month. the only time you want to be there. Exactly. Uh, but <laughs> so how, tell us a little bit about how the sort of the plan worked out that you were, you know, in your, because it sounds like you were in Eastern Europe, then you were in Port, uh, I was going to say Portland, Portugal, and then you were kind of back and forth. So was there a rhyme or reason to it, or is it just sort of how it worked out? Or Yeah, I got out of Europe. I was planning to stay in Europe for longer, but um, because of my finances changing, I mean, I did the whole Canadian currency crash thing. I was paid up until February, and at that point, um, I was had planned to stay longer and go to Spain or someplace like that for a while. But um, right around February was when I found out that I lost 60% of my income too. Um, I was also doing a bit of a spokesperson thing for a company that was um, giving me some hearing aids. Um, the company is Phonak and they were giving me some hearing aids to be a spokesperson for them for a while. and. I had to, I was going to get fitted for these in Europe, but when I told them I was having issues with finances and everything, we arranged for me to do it in um, Vancouver instead. So I wound up flying back to Vancouver to be fitted for everything, and then I had to come back. Um, oh gosh, I had six weeks in Oaxaca, and then I had to come back. I had about a month in Oaxaca and then I had to come back to get the hearing aids after they were made. So I went down to Mexico and then I came back, but they played, paid for my flight to return to Vancouver and they paid for my lodgings. So I got to come back and then I got to go back to Mexico. So that wouldn't have happened if it was my money. But, but um, I was there for six months and stay in central Mexico, live more cheaply. Because central Mexico is fairly cheap. Um, and the quality of living is pretty good. And in some places, it's safer than other areas. And Oaxaca, where I was, it was all about the food. But when it came to, when it comes to planning, I'm kind of, 
I stay for a couple of months at a time. So it's not like I'm really hopping around crazy. I stay for a couple of months at a time and then I don't want to go over to the next country and have the exact same culture. I want to move somewhere reasonably close. And here in Europe, I can just for 150 bucks or 100 bucks. So I can completely change my flavor by moving around. Originally, when I first started, it was uh, Prague and Budapest. And I did it over in November and early December just because I knew that the weather was going to get stupid bad after that. So I, I wanted to get a little bit of cold weather, but not a lot. And but then I'll go to Greece. <laughs> so, so I wound up getting a lot of cold weather, and I'm really lucky I found that um, puffy winter coat at um, Walmart on my last day in Canada for 30 bucks. Huh. That's funny. Yeah, you're you're kind of reminding me a bit about how my decisions were made. And I was in southern Turkey and I, I had bad internet for a month and it just drove me crazy. So what was the most important thing in the world to me? Fast internet. And so I looked and then sure. in so in Skofi in Macedonia, they they had a co-working space and I emailed them and I always like, how fast is it? And they said, well, it's it's 100 megs down and 100 megs up. And I was like, wow, I'm coming. But it was like $400 flight one way from Athens. And I said, I'm not going to pay that. And Sofia in, Bulgar in Bulgaria had a $50 flight. So I said, well, I'm going to go see Sofia for a week. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they had a fast internet too. But I was right. stuck on like the first place I'm going to go is this place. So I was going to go there, but I was going to stop somewhere else. So I stopped in Sofia and loved the city. Probably never would have gone there otherwise. And I took a bus for five hours and it was, I think, 20 euros or something. And then I landed in Skofi and spent it, uh, two weeks there, I think. Uh, and I just loved, loved the city. I loved the fact that I had fast internet. I loved the co-working yeah. space. And so it's funny how our decisions are sort of made, but I think you're really, you hit on something when you said, I, I want to vary the culture. So rather than being in the full Eastern European culture for six months, it's like take a couple months and go somewhere else. And I've been spending three weeks to five weeks in one place. And I've been a bit hesitant. Well, I've been a bit hesitant about spending longer in one place mainly because I only have a three-year plan, not a five-year plan. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking, if I stay like three months here, like that's a quarter of my year, which means I've got like mm -hmm. all these other places I want to go to that I'm, I'm going to have to chintz on because I think I'm going to be back home in three years, not five years. But uh, I wanted to ask you, because I know at about three weeks for me, I'm starting to really feel comfortable. Like I'm, I know where I should go, where I shouldn't go. I know how to get here and go back without getting lost. You know, the first time you're anywhere, it's like I'm looking at this corner, I'm looking at that corner, imprinting it on my head so that when I come back, I'll remember that's where I turn left and not turn right. And yeah. But after three weeks, I'm really comfortable. And so yeah. I'm wondering, after two months, can you tell us a bit about how you feel about it being in the, you know, we assume you like it and everything else, but... Mm -hmm. There is this, um, there's a difference between 
going someplace and spending a week on the beach there or three days on the beach there and then going somewhere else and spending two months. Well, it's, I, I really like it. I mean, the thing about um, Sarajevo is it's a, it's a really cool town. Um, for those who don't know this part of the world, Yugoslavia was the country and in 1992 war began where the whole country fell apart and the result was seven different countries and right now scott is traveling through half of them and i've been through the other half so uh you know macedonia and croatia and slovenia and bosnia and you know montenegro. serbia they're all yeah montenegro they're all former Yugoslavian countries and the thing about them is they all have fairly similar culture but you know that took it the worst and Sarajevo was under siege for four years and wow. when you come here there's this amazing culture because people really understand that everything can change in your world tomorrow one day they were you know enjoying coffee in the Ottoman district and the next day, the a sniper took out to red war, you know. So I have never felt so um, in the moment in a place. Like this city has really affected me kind of emotionally. When I first started out my travels here, it was, it was really jarring for me coming from the safe place in Canada where... You know, we don't have a lot of history, but here, you know, this place has been around for 5,000 years. Like, they joke that you can't dig in your backyard without finding an artifact, right? Like, there's so much history here. And this is probably the most war-torn city in all of Europe because um, they've had a war here every 20, 25 years for a century and a half. So, like, you, you really wow. live in the moment. Yeah, and but the people are amazing, and the food is great, and you know you have this huge Turkish influence because the Turks controlled it here for five hundred years, and then you have um, a very big Viennese Habsburg influence, right? There's an actual street where there's a sign on the street where it says East meets West, and you go from Istanbul into Vienna in the space of a block here, which is super cool. <laughs> Right. But that is. Um, yeah, I think it takes like three weeks to kind of get your feet wet in a place. I was doing like you, I was doing three to five weeks and um, I was in Budapest for three weeks and I was really enjoying the city. But on day two of landing in Budapest, I got a writing contract that lasted me for 19 days. I was there for 21 days and for 19 of them, I worked like a dog. So I didn't even see Budapest. I got to know the jazz seller right across the street from me really well because I kept going over there and listening to jazz and doing my work. But I didn't really see the city. I had like two days off and doesn't understand. But I want to see Budapest. That's not an excuse to them, right? They don't get this lifestyle. So yes. you just suck and you do the work and so I realized that I was never going to stay anywhere for less than four or five weeks um, but then I was in Tirana Albania for my surgery recovery for six weeks and it's an insane city it's just crazy but I loved it and 
I really got attached to it after six weeks. You know, um, same thing with Sarajevo. I mean, I'm here and like I have my favorite coffee shop. Every time I go there, my favorite table is empty. I know the music they play. I know the name of the waitress. I know her hours that she works. I know that she's, you know, 21 and went to a Muslim school and is fluent in English and studying for international relations and law, you know, and I, I know people, right? Like I've, I've met some locals and I know the woman at the other coffee shop makes carrot cake on Tuesday and Friday, right? Like you just start to know the lot of place once you've been around for a while. And also I can have a Netflix, Netflix binge somewhere in the middle of it without feeling too guilty because I know that I'm here for eight weeks, right? But if I'm there for three weeks, I, I barely watch Netflix because I feel guilty about having downtime. Yes, that's a really good point. And I also like the point that you made about when you're working, uh, you know, I've got all this work to do, so I don't have time to see the city. And when that's the difference between like a vacation and traveling, you know, on a holiday, because mm -hmm. you, theoretically you don't have to work and being a digital nomad where you could be putting in eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours in a day on your business or on a project that comes up. And yeah. it's kind of like, so if you think about I'm somebody who works in Vancouver and they get up at six in the morning, at seven they go to work, at eight they arrive at work, at five they come home, at you know at six or seven they're, they've finished dinner and they've got like a couple hours before they got to go to bed. How much of Vancouver do they go and see, right? Like right. nothing. Monday to Friday, it's zero, and then they may go and do something on the weekend. And if if that is your part of your lifestyle, being a digital nomad, then how are you going to see anything in Budapest? Well, I'll go and see it on Saturday and Sunday. Well, first of all, you don't know where you're going because you haven't lived there 10 years or 20 years like you have in Vancouver, Winnipeg, or wherever we are from. I'm from Winnipeg and Vancouver. So now you're lost half the time. So you've got takes you three times longer to find anything. And... Uh, yeah, so it's... That's, but there, but there's another of... complication. There's another complication too, though. And it's that everybody I know and love is in a different time zone that's nine hours away. So if that's I tough. want to be in touch with anybody, I need to... Like, they're not even waking up until my workday is done at 6 o'clock, right? So I have a pretty productive workday. And then at 6 o'clock, my internet goes crazy. So, um, but they're just getting started work, so they can't really talk or anything like that. And so if I'm even going to kind of socialize with any of them, it's not until 9 o'clock when they're starting to go on lunch break. That, like, 9 o'clock at night, they're getting lunch break. And so next thing you know, I'm shooting the breeze with people until, like, 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning. And so, but then I get up at 8 and then I go to work and I do my work day, but my socializing with like friends and stuff on Facebook or Twitter, it all happens between seven and one in the morning. So, the, and, and that's one of the ways that I don't feel so alone is that I stay in good contact with everyone in my life. 
So Stephanie, uh, you've already done two years of your journey. You know, it's amazing all these different places you've gone to. And I like how you mix it up with uh, being planned for the first few months and then uh, quite a lot of spontaneity, following the sun, following the weather patterns, and obviously needing the rest and uh, having the work days, et cetera. So you have three years left in this full nomad journey. Uh, tell us a rough idea of where do you see yourself over the next three years and especially for the next few months. I'm so excited to be going back to Canada and doing bi-coastal tourism. I'm going to start, uh, I take off from Sarajevo on Thursday. I'm already getting emotional about it. Um, I'm not going to miss the cigarette smoke. I got to be honest with you. I'm not going to miss the cigarette smoke, but I'm going to miss everything else. And then I spend a few days in Croatia overnight in London. And then I've got seven days in Nova Scotia with a car. And this is exciting to me because for the next two weeks, I'm actually being a tourist. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to see things and do things and have a car and try to ignore work entirely. I've booked time off with my day job. I've gotten the last of a big project finished just today. Um, so I get two weeks off. So vacation. And then after my two weeks is up, I'll be in um, Prince Edward Island where my parents who are both dead, but they both were born in PEI and, and I haven't been there since I was eight years old, which I know I look really young, was 35 years ago. So I'll be um, it's there for five weeks. I get to do lobster fishing. I'm going world's better in uh, 2015 so I'm doing lots of food tourism in PEI I'm actually going to buy a bike and ride it around the island for five weeks that'll be fun then I go to British Columbia and I'll do three weeks of house sitting in Vancouver which this is a great tip I mean if you want to go home let all your friends and family know that you're free to house sit for them and then you can have trips home for free, right? So I'll be house-sitting um, right in the heart of Vancouver for three weeks. Then I'll go spend a month in wine country in the Okanagan with my um, aunt and uncle. And actually a couple that I made friends with through Airbnb. They had an Airbnb in New Westminster. It was where I would stay cheaply when I went home. And now they live in Penticton, and I'm going to be staying with them for a week for free as a guest because I'm friends with them now. Um, and then I'll do another couple of weeks of house sitting on Vancouver Island where I get to feed the deer. These people have deer that come on their property and they feed them, which I think is against the law, but I don't care. I'll feed the deer. <laughs> Then after that, it's uh, five days back on the mainland, and then I'm taking off for my first time in Asia. So I, uh, I think I'm going to go to Vietnam first, and then Thailand. I don't know. I'm figuring it out. And what, what do you hope to achieve by the end of the five I, years? Uh, do you want to visit every continent or as many countries as possible, or just uh, see what happens? No, I'm just, I'm just winging it. Like I have one friend who keeps going. But what are you trying to get out of the travel? I'm like. I'm trying to get the travel out of the travel. Why, why does there have to be like an ulterior motive? The world is there. I'm going to go see it. I don't really care about like notching things off my belt or ratcheting up a number count. Um, I, I, I would rather 
there, there's a movie, a French movie, where the guy says, I, I want to watch life slip by, not fly past. And mm, that's, that's kind of my, yeah. yeah, isn't I, it, right? Yeah. I, you know, it's funny you said that because at one point, and as I was thinking about my trip and doing my trip, I thought, yeah, like I'm going to go to all 200 countries. And then I looked at my passport and I thought, hold on a second. I'm going to be filling this passport up pretty quick. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. do I really want to fill up my passport? And like, what's involved in getting a new passport if you're halfway around the world from Canada? And there all these questions came up. And I thought, you know what? It's easier if I don't fill up my passport. <laughs> <laughs> and do I really, you know, because the whole 200 countries is, that's just my ego going. Like, I want to visit the world and see things. And where I go, uh, who knows how, the, how that decision is made. It seems to be made different ways in different times. And, uh, but I had one hmm. question for you, Stephanie, that I wanted to ask before, because I know we're getting close on our time. And that was, mm -hmm. how do you feel uh, travel? Like, cause you're traveling by yourself, right? I'm traveling by myself. I'm a guy. I tend to feel like it's no big deal. It's not a problem, but oftentimes there's concerns about women traveling by themselves. How have you felt traveling by yourself in terms of safety and, and being treated by by the local people that you're with well i mean i'm i'm an overweight woman in my 40s so it's going to be different for me than if i was say a 19 year old waif who likes to wear short shorts and tank tops you know it's a very different scenario but i have some pretty simple rules i never get drunk in public i that's not to say i don't like a bottle of wine when i'm back at the apartment but I won't drink to excess in public. I've bought um, really smart gear. I've got stuff like pack safe backpacks where all the zippers lock, the strap comes off and locks so that I can put it around the back of a chair if I'm sitting on a sidewalk cafe. So my, my bag is secure enough that if somebody tries to steal it, they're stealing a chair too. Um, and they're, they have slash proof, um, slash proof straps. So nobody can cut it off me if I'm in the piazza in Rome and, you know, so I buy smart things and then I'm not flashy. I use a little, uh, micro four thirds camera, which is handy in two ways. One, it's really small and light, but two, there's a lot of, um, leather cases that they make that, that make it look like it's from the 1970s. So I've actually had people going, why are you traveling with that old camera? Well, it's a $1,500 digital camera, but thank you. I'm glad you think so. Um, so like, it's just about being smart. I never ever use paper maps because that will make you look like a tourist, like uh, faster than anything. Right. So I always get SIM cards wherever I go so that, I've got my phone and I just look like another local on the phone, you know, um, it's just be smart, be aware. And, and that's, that's it. You know, I mean, it's not that hard. I haven't, I've been in 16 countries now, like over 40 cities. And I only had one day that came close to me. Um, one, one day that came close to me getting like conned by this creepy Greek guy, but, who actually wasn't Greek. He was probably Egyptian, they told me. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was in Athens, and it was your typical con job right by the train station. But there's lots of little tricks, you know, like 
speaking of train stations, I'll always get my money out if I'm in a place like Budapest or Athens or, you know, Madrid, where they have a high number of thefts that happen on trains. I mean, it's pretty common. I'll, I'll always secure my wallet beforehand and I take my cash out of my wallet before I get to the train station so that I have the money I need before I get there. So I'm not ever exposing my wallet and allowing it to be, you know, seen by a potential thief. You know, same thing with, you know, these kids that beg you for money. A lot of the times it's a scam and they're looking for you to pull out your wallet so that somebody else can run along and steal it. So it's about knowing about what all the common scams are. And if you're an intelligent, informed, aware traveler and you're not drinking to excess and acting like you're like the world's a big party, I think you'll be fine just about in any country in the world. Absolutely. Uh, so Stephanie, uh, you've shared some uh, wealth of info and we'll definitely have you back on the show to share more about your digital nomad journey in the next coming uh, months and years. Uh, tell us a little bit about your blog to end off with. Uh, where can people connect with you, ask you questions about the digital nomad life and uh, see your beautiful photography and read your incredible writing. Thanks, Ricky. I'd love to promote myself. Ha! Uh, <laughs> Go ahead. Walk away. I don't, I don't actually do a lot of writing on my blog. I, I kind of neglected a lot. There's a lot of unfinished pieces on my um, computer that I need to put up there. But when I do, it's fullnomad.com. I'm on Facebook. I update that a lot. I have a blog page there, facebook.com slash fullnomad. And then I have Instagram at fullnomad and um, Twitter at snarkysteph. And that's about, that's about it for where you'll find me. I'm not a Pinterest girl. Awesome. So make sure you connect with uh, Stephanie on all of her social media. And uh, make sure you uh, read her incredible writing. Check out her photography as well, a really incredible photography. And we'll uh, catch up with everyone on the Digital Nomad community on Facebook and on our social media and on our podcast and YouTube channel. So thanks, everyone, and we'll catch up with you on the next episode of Digital Nomad Mastery, where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world.